We are in Joshua chapter 18, Joshua chapter 18, and last week we talked about how there, there were, there were uh, a number, there were seven tribes that had not yet taken their land, and Joshua was really quite, quite uh, upset about that, and he, he commanded them to take their land, so they took their land, and um, you will see that, that, uh, that um, could, could you get me one of the maps, please, because I'm going to point that out. Okay, thank you. So, you will see now what we're going to cover in, in verse 11 is we're going to see that in verse 11 it says, Now the lot of the tribe of the sons of Benjamin came up according to their families, and the territory of their lot lay between the sons of Judah and the sons of Joseph. So remember from last time, already Judah had received its territory. And then Ephraim and Manasseh on the east side, on that left side of the, uh, I'm sorry, on the west side, on the left side of the Jordan River, had received their land. But that little strip between Judah and Ephraim had not yet been designated. Already the tribes on the right side or on the east side of the Jordan had received their land, half of the tribe of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. But now it says this is the territory of Benjamin. And so you see Benjamin encompasses Jericho. So it goes all the way down near the Jordan River and encompasses Jericho. And if we read, read on down, uh, the, the, the last, the last uh, uh, verse of that chapter 18, it says... And Zila, Helef, and the Jebusite, that is Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Gibeah, Kiriath, 14 cities and their villages. This is the inheritance of the sons of Benjamin according to their families. So you see, within the tribe of Benjamin is Jerusalem. The map here is accurate. Jerusalem was, is, is on the Benjamin side, not on the Judean side. It turns out, though, that Jerusalem is going to eventually go to the tribe of Judah, and that's going to become, become because of the right of conquest. David is going to be the one who takes the tribe of Judah, and the, 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 David is going to be the one from the tribe of Judah who takes the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites and liberates that city, and now Jerusalem is going to become part of the tribe of Judah. But at the time of the separation of the different tribes, that was very much a part of Benjamin. Now you say, how could they have had the city of Jerusalem there and the Benjaminites living all around them and you had a city there that had not yet been conquered? Happened with many cities had not yet been conquered. And what you will see is that that city of Jerusalem where the Jebusites lived would not be conquered for several hundred years. And it was going to survive there. Very hard to conquer that city because it's up on a high mountain. You drive up to Jerusalem today on, on, that, on that, route, route from, uh, that route one from the, from the airport today, you will see this, <clears throat> these sidewalls that are huge and, and then these, these walls. And you say, how could anyone ever take that city? It's not easy. And so that city lived among them and people would go in and come out and they'd do business with the, with the Israelites, and they'd go back into the city and they'd close the doors, and the Israelites probably came in, small groups of them did business and went out, but the city itself was still under Jebusite control. You say, this is kind of weird, you have a city living surrounded. Go to Jerusalem today, and it's exactly the same way. You have the Palestinian communities surrounded by the Israeli communities, the Palestinian communities being independent, 
and having their towns surrounded by Israeli communities being independent. And they live the same way they were living then, they live today. You go to Jerusalem today, you have the Palestinian uh, uh, sectors within the old city of Jerusalem. And they're just bumped right up against each other. So what was happening then continues to occur today. So if it seems odd to you that, that, that the Jebusites would live hundreds of years surrounded by, by Benjamin, go to Israel today. You'll see the same sort of thing happening. There's nothing new under the sun. And so if we turn over to Joshua chapter 19, it talk, in verse 1 it says, Then the second lot fell to Simeon, to the tribe of the sons of Simeon, according to their families and their inheritance, was in the midst of the inheritance of the sons of Judah. So if you look at the bottom of the map, to the left side, you see Simeon. Simeon's tribes were within, Simeon's cities were within the tribe of Judah. Simeon got no land of its own, none of its own land. And that's because of a prophecy. And we've looked at this before, but we can see it again in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 49. And in Genesis chapter 49, you will see the prophecy because Simeon and Levi, the, the, uh, uh, the two sons of Joseph, were, were violent men and they killed a whole city of Shechem, by violence, that, that their father, uh, uh, Jacob, cursed them and said, you will never get your own inheritance. And he said to them in, in Genesis chapter 49, verse 5, so this is about 500 years earlier, he said to them, Simeon and Levi are brothers, their swords are implements of violence. This is verse 6 of Genesis 49. Let my soul not into enter into their council, let not my glory be united in their assembly, because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob, I will scatter them in Israel. Look at the prophecy, I will disperse them in Jacob, I will scatter them in Israel. So what he has done, is he has done that actual scattering now. He has dispersed them. They got none of their own inheritance. Their land, their cities are within the tribe of Judah. You don't see a sector of land designated to the Simeonites. They are within Judah. And part of this, you say, well, why did Judah give them this territory? Give them those cities? Well, if you look down in, in, verse, in, in Joshua chapter 19, verse 9, Joshua chapter 19, verse 9, it says, The inheritance of the sons of Simeon was taken from the portion of the sons of Judah. For the share of the sons of Judah was too large for them. So the sons of Simeon received an inheritance in the midst of Judah's inheritance. So they received cities within the tribe of Judah. Those were not their own cities. They were designated cities, but it was part of the tribe of Judah. Judah was happy for them to take it. Happy for them to occupy those cities. And you say, why? Why, why were they happy? Because it says the land was too big for Judah. If you don't occupy cities... Enemies will come and occupy them. So they were glad to have Jewish occupants in those cities for them while they could grow out and start filling up the land. So, so it, was, it was too vast for them. That territory was too vast for them. Now you get down that far south. I've been to Beersheba. You see little above the O in Simeon is that town of Beersheba. And just about near the top of that O, and Simeon is the southern portion where, where Ben-Gurion University has a, 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 a uh, research site where they study water resources and solar resources. And it's right about where that O is on Simeon. 
and it is hot and it is barren. So they were kind of given, you know, the, the drabs of, of the place. They didn't give them the, 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 the upper territory of Judah, which is a lot more plush. It is really barren down there. You're driving in a car there and you think, if this car breaks down, I am in big trouble. That's what goes through your mind as you're driving through that territory. But that's the land that they got. And you see the curse from their father 500 years earlier hit them in this time. So that, that, that was, that was their, their territory. Now, if you look, it t- talks about in Joshua chapter 19, the territory of Zebulun. And if you look at the territory of Zebulun now, and this map is really quite accurate. So if you look at Zebulun, is, 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 so above Judah, you have Benjamin, then Ephraim and Manasseh. And then above that, that little landlocked area of Zebulun. So there's a little landlocked area of Zebulun, and that was Zebulun's territory. Remember that the lots that people got was defined in two ways. It depended on the size of their tribe. And then once you establish the size of the tribe, then it was chosen by lot, by drawing lots. Zebulun is a landlocked territory. And that's kind of odd because back in, in Genesis chapter 49, during that prophecy, during that prayer of Jacob over his children, he said of Zebulun in verse 13 of Genesis 49, it says, Zebulun will dwell at the seashore and he shall be a haven for ships and his flank shall be towards Sidon. And you look at that and you look at Zebulun's land. They are not on the seashore. They are not on the Mediterranean. Asher has the entire swath of the Mediterranean, as does Manasseh. And so Zebulun was landlocked. But what about this prophecy? Well, it turns out that this prophecy is not going to be answered until Ezekiel chapter, seven, chapter 47 and 48 talks about the redistribution of these territories, of the land that's going to occur when the Messiah returns. So when the Messiah returns, he's going to redistribute the land and reset the territorial boundaries. That's when Zebulun will be at the seashore. Zebulun will reach out to the Mediterranean. So it's not all defined here. And in fact, their land, their territorial areas is, are going to increase dramatically when the Messiah returns. It was never intended for them to get it all. So, for example, if you look at Israel today, that whole right side of the map to the right of the River Jordan, half the tribe of Manasseh, then Gad and Reuben, that is now the land of of Jordan. That is the present day Jordan. And and, uh, uh, you can can see that, that the land, though, that has been designated to the children of Abraham is going to go from the Euphrates River, which is current day Iraq, all the way across to, to the Mediterranean and the river of Egypt, even beyond to the left of this map. And that is going to be their designated territory. It is in that time that the prophecy in the prayer of Jacob is going to be fulfilled concerning Zebulun, that they're going to get that land. And the markers that they used, and as you read about this in, in, in Joshua chapter 19, as you read about in Joshua chapter 19, the land, the designations in 18 and 19, is you see that they chose cities. So markers, cities were often their boundary markers, and also, also uh, cliffs or, or uh, rivers or wadis that they call them. We, we call them bayous here, which are human-made wadis, which are human-made 
places where water will funnel into. There in Israel, they call them wadis, where, where water funnels off the mountains and goes through these tracks. And those can actually fill up very rapidly when there's rain in the mountains. Much like when it starts raining here, our, our bayous can fill up extremely rapidly. And often there's people caught in those wadis, not expecting rain that's going on in the mountains to send just rivers of water through there. Anyway, they will choose wadis, and those wadis actually are the things that zigzag on this map. And the land was designated by those wadis, and those wadis remain today. So you can actually see the geographic markers that were there in those days are here today. Um, okay, let me, let me just, just head on here. Okay, so, so now we're going to go on to, uh, uh, we'll, we'll head on down. So we, we covered Zebulun, and then the territory of Issachar and Asher were designated, and then the territory of Naphtali. And then we're going to go, go down in, in uh, chapter 19 of, of Joshua to verse 40 and look at the territory of Dan. Now there is this tribe, Dan, and it says in verse 47, the territory of the sons of Dan proceeded beyond them, for the sons of Dan went up and fought with Leshem and captured it. Then they struck it with the edge of the sword and possessed it and settled in it. And they called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan, their father. So Dan was a small tribe and Dan was designated this portion just above Judah that bordered with the Mediterranean Sea, a very plush territory just next to Benjamin, just above Judah is the territory of Dan. And that's what's defined in, in uh, verse 40 on through verse 46 is this territory that Dan got. However, Dan never cleared that land. So remember, the major war was done. There were no more calling together of all the children of Israel to fight battles. Now they were tribal wars. The tribes were given this land, and they still had to fight for territory. There were Philistines, there were Amorites living in those territories that they had to displace. Dan was given that territory, but Dan was never able to displace them. Dan never displaced them. They never took upon them the promise that God had for them, and they never displaced them. So it says the territory of Dan proceeded beyond them. So if you look up at the top of the map between Manasseh and Naphtali, at the top of the map, you see that little portion of Dan just there at the top. That is the portion that they ended up migrating to. That is discussed in the, in the book of Judges how they left the portion that they were given because they could never assume that territory. They could never displace the Philistines. It's a very lush territory. It, it bordered right up to the ocean, but they could never take it. The Philistines were too strong for them. They never trusted God to be able to take that land. So they migrated and they were looking for land that was outside the inheritance of any other tribe or else the tribe would, would, would say, hey, this is our land. And they found that little portion up there and they took that small portion. That small portion is half the size of what they had been given. But because they did not assume what God had given them, they were unable to take it, they ended up with a much smaller portion. And Dan was not a very good tribe, not at all. They ended up following deeply into idol worship. And you will look in, if you look in the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, you will find that, that a, a part is given to each one of the tribes of Israel, and it starts naming the tribes, name by name. Dan is never among them. Dan actually falls so out of favor, you never see them as a tribe listed in the book of Revelation because they fell so deeply into idol worship. And so this land that Dan had also had no religious expression. 
had no, no Levitical expression because we're going to see how the Levites were given 48 cities that extended all over the land. Remember, the, the Simeon and Levi were never going to be given their own territories. Simeon was given that territory just south of Judah. And, and, and in fact, Simeon doesn't end up there. You, you read uh, later on, and I've, I've listed it here, you read later on in Second Chronicles chapter 15 and, verse, and chapter 34, that the children of Simeon are eventually going to be displaced by, by the Judeans, and they're going to end up in the southern portion of Ephraim, sharing some cities up there. The Levitical cities are 48 cities that are going to go all throughout the land, and you're going to have religious expression. It's like a, a church on every corner. You're going to have Levitical expression all through the tribes, but you have no Levitical expression. No, None of the priests, none of the Levites are going to be up in the area of Dan, up in the top there. And they fall totally away from the Lord, so much so that they're never even given a lasting inheritance in the book of Revelation. So it's interesting to see all of those different portions come together. Now what we're going to do is, is we're going to continue in Joshua chapter 19 and focus in on this because this is a very interesting portion and we're going to stay in, 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 in this portion for, for the rest of the time here. In Joshua chapter, chapter 19, let's start reading from verse 49. Joshua chapter 19, verse 49. When they had finished apportioning the land for the inheritance by its borders, the sons of Israel gave an inheritance in their midst to Joshua the son of Nun. In accordance with the command of the Lord, they gave him the city for which he asked, Timnah Serah, in the hill country of Ephraim. So he built the city and settled in it. So if you look within Ephraim, you see, see above Benjamin was Ephraim. Ephraim and Manasseh took their land quite rapidly. They were not one of the ones that were scolded by, by Joshua. Joshua was an Ephraimite. His little city is not even listed on this map. It's such a small city. Now, what's amazing about this is, remember, Joshua was in charge of designating who was going to get what land. Here's how it was designated. In verse 51 of Joshua chapter 19, these are the inheritances which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the household of the tribes of the sons of Israel distributed by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. So Joshua was one of the three parties in charge of designating the land. You had Eleazar, the high priest. So, so this Eleazar is the son of Aaron, the priest. Eleazar, the high priest. You had Joshua, and that you had heads from each one of the tribes. So you had the 12 tribes, you had heads from each one of those tribes, part of this committee. Remember, it said specifically how the land was divided up by lot, but also by, uh, by, uh, according to the size of the tribe. The larger the tribe, the larger the lots they got. Now, when it came to Caleb, we read about Caleb. Remember, there were only two men, two men over 20 years old, two people over 20 years old that were able to come out of Egypt and enter into the land of Canaan. Every one of them, all the rest of them, including Moses and Aaron, died in the wilderness. Every one of them. None of them survived. And this is because Joshua and Caleb were the faithful ones we read in Exodus who went into the land as spies, came back, and they trusted that God could give them the land. And because they stood against the entire nation of Israel with Moses and Aaron, just those four stood against the entire nation 
of several million people, 600,000 men, you multiply that times four for the minimum number of people they were that they stood against. And, and they said, we can take that land. As a result of that, God made a promise to Caleb and to Joshua that I'm going to give you special land. You're going to specially have cities just for you. When they first came into the land, Caleb went up to Joshua and we read this. He says, remember, you and I were there when God spoke that he was going to give us special portions. The area that I want is I want Hebron. And he said, you got Hebron and Caleb went and he took that land. So you have a man who was over 80 years old. He took the city of Hebron. And if you look on this map, you see Hebron just below the A of Judah. Just below Judah, that at letter A, is Hebron, which is a very nice city. That's actually where many of the patriarchs, including Abraham, are buried in Hebron. You can go to see that site today. And you see just to the left of Hebron is this area of Caleb. Caleb was given not just the city, but much of the land around it. That was all Caleb's territory. Why? Because of his faithfulness. Caleb got a huge amount of territory because of his faithfulness to God. Now, you had another man just as faithful to God. Not only did he stand and say, we will take that land, but he also led Israel into the promised land. He led the battles, led the war. But what did he do? He did not take his portion first. He took his portion last. He set himself as leader. He set himself as last. He waited, it says, until all the other portions, all the other tribes had been assigned. Everybody had been assigned their portions. He didn't use his position as a way for his own financial gain. He didn't use his position as even Caleb took upon himself the promise that God gave to him and took the land that, God, that, that he wanted. He said, I want Hebron. Joshua said, then you got Hebron. And he said, and he got also the lands around it. Remember we read about, about uh, Caleb's daughter and how beautiful she was and how these men fought for, for territory based on being able to marry his daughter. But Joshua, Joshua goes last. Joshua set himself as last. Not only did he set himself as last, he didn't say, okay, now, that now give me such and such a city. He didn't even say, give me such and such a city. It says, when they had finished, in verse 49 of Joshua 19, apportioning the land for the inheritance of, by its borders, the sons of Israel gave an inheritance in their midst to Joshua the son of Nun in accordance with the command of the Lord. They gave him the city for which he asked. He made request. He said, I'm an Ephraimite. I'll be within the tribe of Ephraim. Within the tribe of Ephraim, May I have this city of Timnath Sarah? What is it about a request? A request can be denied. He didn't demand that city. He said, may I have that city? May I have that city? He could well have said, look, I'm on the committee. You got Eleazar, me, and these 12 other heads of the tribes. You know, hey guys, I'll take that. No, he could have said any city he wanted, any territory. He could have had as much as he wanted. This is the guy who led them into the land. They feared Joshua. They respected Joshua. And he said to them, may I have this city? And they granted him his request. That's all he wanted was this little city. This book was probably written by Joshua. There are certain portions that were not written by Joshua. That's 
for example, at the end of Joshua, when it talks about his death, that was other scribes inserted it. That doesn't make it less the Bible. It just means that probably Joshua didn't write that portion. The portion when it says Dan's, that, that, that tribe of Dan migrated and went up to the north and took that, that little portion, that had to have been a scribal insertion because that happened hundreds of years after this particular event or a hundred years after that particular event. But here, when he's writing of this, there's only two verses there's only one little portion. We read a lot about Caleb and all his vast conquering. When he writes about himself, just the little bit that he got, that's it. Nothing of himself, nothing of his own glory. So what do we see in this? First of all, good leadership follows through. He said, we will take this land, and he followed through. He didn't just take his portion and then just stop. It's up to you guys to, to figure out the rest. I've, I've done my part. Go ahead, you, you, I have my air, you guys figure this out. No, he followed it through. This is what good leadership does. The next thing, good leadership is courteous and shows humility and puts himself last. Jesus said, who will be greatest among you? The one who serves will be greatest among you. The one who serves will be great among you. And the greatest will be the one who becomes your slave. When you give of yourself, you want to know the mark of good leadership? It is putting yourself last. It is not, hey, I get this portion for me. Even though God had given the same promise to Joshua that he gave to Caleb, Caleb got it first, Joshua got it last. There is at least a seven-year period between the time that Caleb got his land and Joshua got his land. At least seven years. That means that they were 40 years walking in the wilderness, another seven years in battle and distributing the land. Minimally seven years, may well have been 13 years before Joshua ever got his city. That is the mark of leadership. That is the mark of what he's done. In leadership, what it, what it does is it gives out. It gives of itself. This, the, this idea of giving of oneself in leadership. This is what leadership is. Leadership costs you something. You want to be a leader, it will cost you something. Turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to start reading from verse 4. Paul is speaking about himself. In verse 4, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the, found in the law, blameless. Paul says of himself, if you look at himself, he was trained under Gamaliel, the highest priest, the highest instructor they had. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day. He's showing his Jewishness. He says, I was a persecutor of the church. I had everything. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a wealthy man. Paul had everything and he laid that thing down to become a leader, to become an apostle. He laid it down. He says in verse 7, but wherever things were gained to me, those I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. He, he lost everything. Remember, we talked about this, that a Pharisee, that a rabbi was to have an occupation. His occupation was tent making. 
because they, they were not supposed to be a burden on the, on, on, on the synagogue. If the synagogue wanted to pay them, fine. But they had to have the ability to make their own living. That's why I encourage young people who want to become pastors, get your engineering degree, get your degree in physics, get whatever degree you're going to get, because you never know, you, you might not have a, a, the ability to have people support you for one reason or another. You have to be able to make money and support yourself. This is something they knew. He says, but as far as all that I had, I counted all as lost. You want to know the mark of leadership? It is giving up everything you have. It is not I become a leader so that I can get I become a leader of a big church so I get a big salary. It's just the opposite with Paul. You give up everything. He says, I lost everything in becoming an apostle. Everything is counted as rubbish. Everything that I have, it's gone. And he's not upset with it. He says, so that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in Him. In verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He says, I gave up everything. This is the mark of leadership. Leadership goes last. Leadership doesn't, you know, at the fellowship meal, take the first plate and go through the line first. Leadership goes last. Leadership takes the plate last. That is the mark of leadership. Leadership goes last. Joshua went last, took his land last of all. Two verses of this great man Joshua, and most of that verse is the total submission. He didn't use his position for his own gain. He said, they said, what city would you like? He said, how about that one? He said, you got it. He even made requests. He didn't demand it. He made requests. He did not demand it. Look in, in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Paul follows along this thought. 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul is speaking of himself. For you recall, brethren, our labor and our hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we, pro we proclaim the gospel of God. We worked night and day. In other words, we were preaching at night and during the day we were working making tents so as not to be a burden to any of you. Paul said, I didn't use among you when I was in the church in Thessalonica. I never asked you for a penny so that I wouldn't be a burden to you. I worked all day. He says, you are witnesses and so is God how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers just as you know how we are exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the, of the, of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So do you see, you, of you, who, you among you who have come to me and talked about ministry in the future, how I say you've got to get your degree. Learn how to take care of yourself because you never know what the future is going to hold for you. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The book of 2 Thessalonians now. Chapter 3. And we're going to start reading uh, uh, verse, verse 8. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 8. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow in our example. So he says, 
We didn't even ask bread from any of you. He's writing to those in Thessalonica. We didn't even ask bread. We, we got our own food. But we worked, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. He says, not that we don't have a right to ask you. In other words, the minister is worthy of his salary. This is what the scriptures teach us. So in other words, the scriptures teach us that, that we are to take care of our pastors. So if you look in 1 Timothy chapter 5, look in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And we're going to start reading from verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. So he goes on to instruct, but he says, in other words, those who labor among you preaching the gospel are worthy to receive your support. So what does God do? He tells the one who is preaching, don't expect from the body of Christ to take care of you. Be able to take care of yourself. Then he tells the congregation, you take care of the one who is ministering and teaching among you. You take care of him financially. You don't muzzle the ox when he was threshing. He says when your, your ox is working for you in the fields, don't put a muzzle on him. Let him eat of the wheat that he's threshing. Let him eat of it. And then he says to us in other places in the scriptures, that was not written for the ox, was it? That was written for our instruction. Here he tells it, the labor is worthy of his wages. He tells us in the body of Christ to support those who minister to us. And he tells those who are ministering to us, don't expect the support. You see what he does? He expects more from each one of our groups. We should be supporting those who labor among us. But those who labor among us should not be expecting it. They should be ready to take care of themselves and it should cost them something. Ministry costs us something. Ministry costs us something. There is a, a work that we do. Turn to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You see the same thought of Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start reading from verse uh, 14. Here, for this third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours, but for you, but you, for children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I, most, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? He says, I will most gladly spend. In other words, I will support my own ministry. You want to be of service to the Lord? You want to be of service to the Lord? Be ready to spend your money in service to the Lord. You spend your money in service to the Lord. You have a little Bible study group. You need food for that group to bless them. You buy the food. You buy it. You say, well, I, you know, I don't have that much money. One day when I'm rich. You lie to yourself. You lie to yourself. If you do not spend your money now, you will not spend it when you make a lot of money. Because you will be expended 10% beyond what you're making. Always. If you do not learn to give now. You can skip a meal. Skip a meal. And use that money to buy something for somebody else. You will not die by skipping a meal. I guarantee it. If you die, let me know. All right? You will not die. You will survive. You take of your own resources. 
you expend. Paul says, I took, I most gladly expend. This is what leadership is. It is, I will expend for you. I will take up my own resources for another. Do you want to go to the mission field? Why do you want to raise all of the money that you need from the church? Why not take some of your money? Say, well, I don't have very much. Do you have $100? Do you have $100 that you can give toward your own mission trip? Give that. Give that. Let the, take whatever you can. Don't, don't offer up to the Lord that which costs you nothing. You should be giving to this. You should be giving to this. My children, I would take them on very simple vacations. We would always go to see family. We never got to many, many places. But what I don't understand is this, that fathers will take their kids on grand vacations all over the place and spend thousands upon thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. And then when it comes for their kid to go on a mission trip, they say, raise the money from the church. I mean, why be a burden on the church? Why? Let someone who can't, doesn't have those resources raise it. I would pay for my own kids' mission trips. You think because I got money falling out of my pockets? No, I don't. It's because I took it seriously. I wanted them to be used for the Lord. I was going to pay for them. They were my children. If I can take them on vacations, I can support them on a mission trip. This is what you are to do for your children. We are to spend for our ministries. We are to follow the example of Joshua putting ourselves last, follow the example of Paul, where he said, I will gladly spend on you. I don't want to be a burden on the church. I don't want to be a burden on the body of Christ. It is the body of Christ's responsibility to take care of our elders, to support them. That is what he puts upon us multiple times in the scriptures, that he puts this upon uh, 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 upon us. We are to be doing this. However, to the one who is ministering, Be ready to give all. And that includes your resources, your money, your being first. No, you go last. This is the example that Joshua places before us. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would take these young people and you would cause them to expend themselves and their own resources for the ministry that you have them going into. Father, that they would be like Paul and expend of their own resources for the ministries that you call them to. Father, I pray that you would take each one of these young people that wants to go into ministry and cause them to have an occupation where they, if needed, can always fall back upon that so they need not burden others. And Father, I pray that you take each one of these young people and cause them to be generous and not to be selfish and be willing to support those who minister to them, those full-time workers in the gospel. Father, I thank you that on us, you have raised the bar in everything. Father, I pray for these young people that you draw them close to you. And Lord, those here who do not know you, Father, I pray that you'd be stirring their hearts so that they would say this day, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Father, save their souls, I pray. The mercies and the grace of God be upon them. Thank you, Lord, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.